All right. So we're joined today by Caleb Hawkins. He is from Indianapolis, Indiana. He is a session musician. Uh, he has been working, uh, recording his own music for a very, very long time. And I actually know him from some of the Studio One meetups that I've done for Personas. I, I met him there. Uh, he's a fellow Studio One user, which is how we first connected. Uh, and he's just a cool guy. And when he, when he heard about the uh, top of the show, he uh, wanted to participate. So I, I really want to take this time to say thank you, Caleb, for reaching out. And uh, thanks for joining us. And how you doing? And thank you for having me. Good. Uh, you know, I, the, I think this might be the first show that actually really focuses on the topic of the show. <laughs> it, like <laughs> Normally, I'm actually like kind of talking to people about the specifics about what they do uh, and how they are personally involved in music, which is related to the democratization of music, but is, is not quite the same thing as the overall topic, right? And I think yeah, that's kind of what, what got you and I uh, interested in talking to each other, if I recall. Um, refresh my memory, were you were you around when Napster was a thing and like everyone started killing the music industry? So I was a probably late teens yep. uh, when that was kind of a thing. Me too. Um, yeah, you know, so it, it didn't really affect anybody that I personally knew. Um, you know, the only people I really saw that were complaining about it were the, you know, the giant superstars, the Rolling Stones, you know, so to speak. Who is um, it? But Judas it was definitely Priest coming that was along. super famous for like suing people for for stealing their music, right? Yeah, you know, I mean, nobody I knew was actually complaining about it. I knew a few artists who were actually putting their music on there. Yeah. Um, you know, and I still know uh, musicians who put their stuff out on torrents and they hide little, you know, Easter eggs, little unreleased tracks here and there and yeah, stuff like that. Absolutely. So. I, I just, I think that it's really interesting how Napster came along and it, almost at the exact same time as all this music hardware just became super affordable forever for like a guy with a day job to buy, you know, like, or even a high schooler with you know, a couple of Christmas presents lined up could could theoretically get set up with a basic recording scenario. Yeah, you know, I mean, the earliest stuff, I, I think I started recording on a Sound Blaster live, <laughs> you know, a 16-bit sound card, yeah. which had, you know, like, I don't know, 3.5 seconds latency huh? or whatever it was. You yeah. Know? Um, you know, looking back, like, those recordings, really, they didn't sound terrible. Um it wasn't you know, about I think the that quality. Card, like, yeah, uh, my dad had a client who did IT work, and they bought it for like twenty one dollars and stuck it on our PC. Like, it wasn't a big deal. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, I think that you know the, the revolution in affordable, good sounding hardware with a you know competent you know preamp on it with a good noise floor definitely changed everything. Yeah, I mean, um, all of a sudden, just you in your in your bedroom could record a single and. Uh, in theory, oh, yeah. in theory, publish it to like millions of people if you were willing to put it out for free on Napster or whatever. Yeah, well, I think the the bottleneck for the longest time was you know the publishing side of it. Mm -hmm. you, you really you had like CD Baby was really the only yeah like place that would put it up on legit platforms where you could monetize it. Um, you know, I kind of got my start really like as a public figure in 2005 i've been playing my entire life but in 2005 i uploaded my first tracks to myspace <laughs> and um almost instantly you know i started getting these bands uh you know that were in my community even going man 
you must have spent a lot of money on studio time. Like, this sounds amazing. It's like, uh, well, yeah, I mean, I kind of spent a lot of money on gear, but, you yeah. know, I mean, I recorded it in uh, a closet. You know, <laughs> I had a, I, I had the, at the time I lived in the master bedroom of the house. Uh, my parents didn't need as much space as I did, it turned out. So okay. I had this like massive walk-in closet that had um, kind of angled walls. So it, it sort of worked for a studio and it, it kind of decoupled me because I had like rooms on each side of it. Yeah. Uh, there was a bathroom on one side and then the laundry room. So it decoupled me from the rest of the house. And so I could kind of crank up and, and make some noise within nice. reason. Yeah. Um, when I say cranking up, I mean like playing an acoustic guitar really loudly. Right. Like actually <laughs> three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, but you know, I wasn't, um, you know, I wasn't using uh, what was the the, the lo- little Windows recorder app. Mm-hmm. You know, you remember the first one? I do. You, know, you could get like sixty seconds of audio or whatever it was. Um, you know, I was yeah, I was using microphones and you know, really playing instead of you know a DI off of my acoustic guitars, miking up the body. Yeah. Uh, so you know, it's the wonderful audio quality of MySpace was I was kind of kicking butt. Yeah. <laughs> It is so funny that MySpace supported the uh, the music uploads, but yet to this day, I don't I don't think Facebook does. Like it's it's very strange. Well, Facebook doesn't really their model doesn't seem to truly embrace creative control. Yeah, because I mean, all pages look alike. Yep. You know, you can upgrade your banner, you can do this and that, but you can't access the HTML, right. which a lot of that is probably due to security because MySpace. You know, constantly people were getting hacked by going to dodgy websites and creating weird profiles that had malicious code in them. Yep. Um, so, you know, what I can't understand is well, what, what were people getting off of MySpace hacking? Like what, what data were they really <laughs> getting? But, uh, that's a, that's a whole other rabbit. Trail. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. And talk cybersecurity in another episode, <laughs> different episode, uh, democratizing music for sure. <laughs> which it, it can be a thing for musicians. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we, you know, we gotta have most you of us have, have an influencer have a, have a, page. You get hacked. You, you're in trouble. You gotta have like a Squarespace site. Probably if you really, if you want like to attract contacts and things like that, or, and have an attractive business card. That's not like email me at my Gmail address or something like that. You probably want like a, an actual site up. Which means that you probably want like a domain, and you probably want to make sure that like those have two-factor authentication on them because otherwise, yeah, you you'll try to go to your own website one day and find out it's a porn site or one of those like link farms, you know, uh, just points yeah. out to a whole, whole bunch of other sites. So that's yeah. definitely a thing. There's always somebody out there that wants to monopolize on your hard work. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so you know, I moved to Indianapolis. I'm originally from the Cincinnati area. Uh, and uh, northern Kentucky, Cincinnati, kind of Ohio, Kentucky, and Indiana all come together in, in that little yeah, yeah. area, and that's where I'm from. Um, but I moved up here to central Indiana around 2005, early 2006, and just started playing open mics. You know, back then, yeah, you could go and burn a dozen CDs and, and put them in nice little jackets with your cards that you printed out on your inkjet printer and, <laughs> oh did you, you know, ever do the you light spend scribe? A small fortune to create you ever you know? do the light scribe labels on the, on the cds you know i i didn't have to because i had a printer that could actually just print straight to the oh, cd that's nice uh, yeah. so i didn't do the light scribe 
I, I looked at it and I realized like how long it was going to take me to crank out a, a dozen copies it's and stuff like that. a long time. Yeah. It was so slow, so ineffective. I, I just decided my time was worth more than that per hour. Yep. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I used to go out and, you know, play like an open mic, which was great because it kind of gave you this ability to, you know, workshop your show. You had 20 minutes to make an impression. And if you did a good job in 20 minutes, you could walk out of the crowd and all the other musicians who were waiting to play might buy your CD. That's true. Um, you know, which uh, to this day, like I found that I have like a very strong musician following Hmm. for what I do. Um, I wish I could get people who are just avid music lovers (laughs) who would show up at every concert, but it's, you know, musicians who just want to know what kind of gear I'm playing this month. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I think that's a, that's definitely a thing, right? Especially as we, as we get established is that like, the first contacts we make are, are typically other musicians that we have met at open mics or, or whatever. And so, yeah. Yeah. You know, at some point I, I don't, I can't even really put my finger on where the fundamental shift was, where I stopped playing open mics and just started like booking actual shows. Um, I really want to say that probably in 2013, um, I actually moved away. I, I moved to Naples, Florida. I got married and moved to Naples, Florida and, uh, played in the Bonita Springs, Naples market, oh, all the cool. way to Fort Myers, even. Um, you know, and if you want to shake the rust off, the best thing to do is to dive in. And I was in town for maybe three weeks, you know, yeah, going around, playing a couple of open mics, yep. uh, met a bunch of artists like on Reverb Nation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then um, by the time I was like done with the honeymoon and, and came back from, from the wedding and everything, I was playing six nights a week. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I was sitting here going, man, I used to make like, you know, 300 bucks a week working in some restaurant or something like that. You know, here I am. I'm making that a night. Yep. You know, this is amazing. Plus, you, know, you probably liked what you're doing a lot, a lot better. <laughs> yeah. 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 It was all fun until I blew my wrist out. Uh, yep. And that started a, a multi-year battle with tendonitis and some other things that, was it tendonitis or an overuse injury? I, I have a I had a similar thing. At it's the time. tendonitis. Um, at some point, I fractured my distal radius in my left hand, and then that's the pinky uh, side of your arm, I think, right? Yeah, if, and then I basically listeners. I just kind of ended up with with more uh, more wear and tear on it than I should have, and you know that really limited my ability so i did other things uh within the creative realm you know that's also where i learned to do a lot of graphics design and Hmm. and um you know just kind of focus more on the marketing so that i didn't have to play as many shows right you know if if i had you know two or three well-attended good shows at better venues that paid more money i didn't have to play six nights a week exactly and um you know that was great i mean we started out playing uh, me and another guy playing in like little tiki bars and little wing joints and stuff. And um, by the time we were done, like we were you know, headlining at the like the Hilton Ballroom for like this wine and cheese event and stuff. You know, nice making making as much money that night as we did all week. And you know that was how I wanted to go. And so I did that for quite some time. Then um, some medical stuff came up in the family, and I kind of had to. Yeah take a back seat on that and step down for a while, but I still performed. Um, but at some point I started producing other artists, you know, they're like, Hey, your, your stuff sounds better than, than what we're doing. So, uh, you know, why don't you 
come in and do this. I'm like, well, if you just turn all the reverb off your tracks, you sound a lot better. That's almost <laughs> always the case, right? It's very funny how many people yeah. like the reverb. Yeah. Oh man. That yeah. And, uh, yeah. It turns out if you just remove all effects from from the stems, yeah, yeah take the flanger off the acoustic guitar that you di'd into your sound Stop. card. And- yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, yeah, that sounds very similar to the path that I took. You know, I was playing. Actually, how long did you play before you played open mics? That's that's a key question that I have. Oh gosh, well, I mean, I started playing music at two and a half years old, so so long freaking time. Yeah, I was I was about nineteen when I hit my first like open mic. I mean, I had played um, with my dad in churches and stuff growing up, mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, here and there, I would get the occasional one-off gig and stuff like that. But uh, as far as like going in as the artist Caleb Hawkins and performing, I was about nineteen. Hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I I think it was like uh, I want to say eight years or so that I played like basically you know in my room or in my house, but never played in front of other people uh, before I went out to to play an open mic. I, I was. I used to play for a church. I I don't really count that time because it was you know I was part of. You know, a worship band that was, you know, yeah. it's, it's a different thing than playing. It's your own basically music. side manning unless you're the worship exactly. leader. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, I, but there was one time when, when I was like, it was for the youth group of my high school, right? And it was a fairly large high school. And um, I, I want to say like a, a thousand people were there that night. And I was the only band member that showed up. And I, I, I kind of screwed it up a little bit. I did not do well that night. I was too nervous. And yeah. um yeah, after that, I, I had major stage fright for years. Like, it took me a lot of a lot of time to work up the courage to get out there. Yeah, stage fright will really jack you up. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I, I had early, early on, I thought, you know, I'm going to be an instrumentalist. I'm going to just, you know, go and be that guitar player that whatever. Um, and uh, there was a, a local radio station in Cincinnati that had a, a festival every year they used to have you know this kind of big i don't know kind of field type festival you know, yeah a big stage up and bringing a bunch of nashville acts and stuff cool somehow i ended up getting to go stand beside one of the tour buses and talk to like the sidemen of the the star that i wanted to see mm-hmm. that day and and you know it's just asking them, like you know how do you get a job playing guitar and uh you know this was early 2000s maybe 2000 two or three and you know the guy said well you know you got to be able to play but it's (laughs) like you know you also really just you know you have to be able to do things like sing you know two three-part harmony yeah um you know how much simpler it was back then uh but you know he he like encouraged me to you know go get some voice lessons and you know learn to sing harmony um something i still most 20 years later haven't learned to do but um, I did get some voice lessons. I did get help on that. And that really gave me the confidence to go out and sing. And, um, you know, that was a big thing. Uh, you know, but it really, it, it started a concept that I, I carry to this day. It's, okay, so you play. So what? Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. else do you do? And and that was kind of how I ended up finding the most work. Um, you know, as it turns out, you know, I have a pretty deft hand with photography and graphics mm-hmm. design kind of comes naturally to me. And, you know, if you need me to, I can whip together a website and, you know, I can do all these other things besides just play. So that's kind of how I've managed to stay busy, even during a pandemic. You know, I've right. been producing other people. I've been, 
uh, you know, recording people's EPs and stuff and, and full on, uh, last summer I did a full on record for a guy here in town. And, nice. Uh, it's more than just being, you know, the, the performing artist. There's so much more that most people don't actually know, mm-hmm. but that's, that's really, I think that's what's amazing right now about what's happening is that, you know, you can have a guy who's maybe kind of an average bass player or something. But if he can figure out how to work Pro Tools or Studio One or, you know, whatever flavor he prefers that mm-hmm. given time, you know, he, he can literally find just about any band he wants to be in. More or less. Yeah. Or, um, I mean, especially if you start, if you give him the credit of virtual instruments and things like that, all of a sudden he can fumble his way into making a whole song, being a one man. Oh, band. yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. You know, and, um, you know, the only thing I do kind of, it, it does kind of rankle me now is like I see these bands that they formed like two months ago. They have an EP and they're playing their first show mm. and they haven't really, they haven't really gone out enough to really get crowd reaction. You know, like yeah. they've got, you know, like an eight song EP or something like that, but none of these songs have really been forged in fire. So when they I, go out there, mm-hmm. like nobody's ever really heard them and it turns out maybe the lead singer isn't as good a lyricist as he thought and mm-hmm. he can't actually deliver those songs live yeah um i've seen that so much right now as you know these guys and some of them like i mean they've got like i, I think they just go to like cd baby and order the merch pack so they've got you know like that three thousand dollar merch pack where they've got like six different sizes of t-shirts and four different colors and they've got you know like all this stuff and that's cool, but you guys don't have the stage banter down to yeah. connect with an audience yeah. yet. You guys need 20, 30 shows under your belt before you make that kind of investment in yourselves. Actually, so, let's uh, let's drill down on that because that's something that I learned a lot from open mics, right? Is that especially as someone who played alone, wrote songs alone in his house for so long, I, I had this catalog of songs I came out to open mics with. I, I was playing and uh and the first bit of feedback i picked up on was like maybe don't play all originals at open mics unless that's the thing that the open mic is about because you probably want a recognizable song in, in that set so that you you get some ears turning towards you and yeah um you know john hartford uh who is a, a brilliant uh you know folk americana bluegrass artist he wrote gentle on my mind which was a yeah. massive hit for glenn campbell back song. in the 60s yeah. um he one time he said, "Play something they know, so they can tell if you're any good." Yeah, exactly, exactly. No one knows if you're pulling off your song well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there there are some tells. You know, you can always you can just see somebody who's a fantastic performer, and their rendition is just you know it, their stage presence, their their you know sort of magnetism on the stage. They could literally sing the alphabet, yep. and you know you would be spellbound. Uh, I, I have a few artist friends that are literally just that good. But, you know, it's a good idea to pick a few crowd favorites, something that they can get into. I don't care what it is so mm-hmm. much. I don't feel like that's terribly important, but definitely try to find a way to connect with the audience. Yeah, uh, I have pet peeves about that. There are certain songs that I feel like are being way overdone oh, by sure. way too many sure. uh, acts. But, you know... I think that new acts uh, to culture and and nurture, uh, they need a stage to perform on. They Mm -hmm. need to spend the time on the stage. 
even bands where it's like, okay, we've got five guys and they're all seasoned players who've been playing for quite some time. When you put that new lineup together, you know, they, well, I was in such and such band and I was in such and such band and so and so was with so and so and now we're all together. It's like, right. that's great, but you guys don't really have that synergy on a stage just yet. Exactly. I guarantee it. Yep. Um, there are yeah, rare things occasions. go wrong. You know, you gotta you gotta banter between songs. You gotta yeah. Have, I mean, like, there are rare occasions. You will on, find some retune. people. <laughs> That's the thing. You will find some people who just play really well together. Yeah. But for the most part, you know, you need that time. And you know, I don't necessarily think you all need to start out. Uh, you know, playing three hour shows. That's a lot of work. Go open for some people. I know that money isn't gonna be that great unless you're you know really playing the top tier stuff but go mm-hmm. open do like 45 minute openers hone down a solid 45 minute set uh you know go get 20 minutes somewhere as a solo act you know get a tight 20 you know stand-up comedians are constantly working on a fast five minutes so that they can go get you know 10 laughs in five minutes or whatever their yep. average that they want to be and um you know, I think musicians tend to need to do that as well. Um, I totally agree. It's weird now, you know, like last week I just played a 30-minute uh, live stream um, here in town. There's a, a vintage guitar shop that does a, a live streaming show every nice. Saturday afternoon. I did 30 minutes. I haven't done a 30-minute show in years. Mm. I you bet know, it was unless, a challenge to whittle it down. It really was. It's yeah. like, okay, so I've got three songs on the fiddle and two on the guitar and then I'm going to do two on the banjo and what does that leave me? You know? Hang on, how many minutes does it take me to change sets and like get the new instrument on do a quick sound? Yeah, yeah, you know, and, and make sure that. everything's in tune. Like, and, in a 30 minute window, that, that's something to consider. Honestly, like this, you maybe lost a song from changing instruments twice. Well, right? and also don't, don't feel like you have to, you know, play eight songs in 30 minutes or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're not a Spotify playlist. Yeah. So <laughs> don't respect you know, you don't... that guy who yells Freebird out because yeah, you don't need oh. to play Freebird if you don't want to. Well, I, I have my comebacks for that, but uh, <laughs> I'll let you get an explicit rating or anything. <laughs> um, no, I mean, you know, there's something to be said for stopping in the middle of the show and and just expressing your gratitude for being there. Tell your audience, you know more or less what you're about yeah and and get up there and and make a connection uh i agree i, I get a little annoyed by the calls to action like you know follow me on instagram and like me on facebook i'm gonna do all that stuff if you're good mm-hmm. yeah you know you didn't if need you're to good, ask me if you're good enough then i will have done that Absolutely. make sure i know your name mm-hmm. and if um, oh yeah you and know, spell your name if it's not intuitive like my last name yeah or you know I mean, I, I miss, you know, like, if you look at, like, the old 1950s country western musicians, they used to put their names on their pick guards. Yeah. It's not bad <laughs> yeah, idea. Yeah, because, like, Ernest Tubb or somebody would, you know, uh, would... Uh, I got a big QR code. I, I made a big QR code. You can just go to a website, right, that makes us a QR code that is a link to your website. And then yeah. just put your name above that in, like, plain English and be like, scan this and you'll go to my website. Yeah. You Here's know, it's, it's harder... They, they, that can turn into a pet peeve too, like at open mics and stuff. What what I'll see guys like bringing banners and all this crap, and they're putting it up on their stage before they've even played the oh, twenty minute yeah, set. Like yeah, uh. there there was a girl that did that. She was a piano player, and she brought out like a rug and a bench and a banner and oh all this gosh. stuff. And no, no, I was talking it, about know, piece of paper you, you put on the table in front. 
of you. Yeah, you know? we don't want to kill her before she even <laughs> played her first note, you of know. Of course. Um but uh yeah, I mean the other thing I feel like a lot of young artists need to learn and I've been guilty of this too. Uh but don't introduce your song by telling everybody what it's about and and yes, doing the title and don't undermine your songwriting, you know. Oh my and, god. Don't apologize if before your title playing is a like song. in the first line of the song or something like that. This oh, is yeah. a song about being born on a river, and then like your. First... I was born on a river. <laughs> oh, come yeah. on, come on now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that I, um, I it's totally okay agree. to like. Hey, this is a new single of my new record. It's on Spotify. It's on blah blah blah. Whatever. Or you know, we just put out a new music video on YouTube. You know, if you like it, please go check it out. You know, when you get home or something like that. Launch right into it. If somebody really wants to know, they will stop your show. People are confrontational like that. Like, hey, what was that song? Where do I get a copy? Yeah. They will stop your show. Absolutely. Um, you know, I've had plenty of people come up to me after I was done playing and say, hey, that fifth song in your set, now I'm sitting here racking my brain trying to figure yeah, out, you know. Hang on. <laughs> yeah. I had a but, stack of songs. There was one song at one point that I threw out because I didn't feel like playing it. And so, yeah. and, you know, it, it, it's okay to uh, to build up a song. It's okay to, you know, especially like I have a couple of songs that are a little bit more tongue-in-cheek and I may sort of, you know, put a few bits of humor in front of it and then break into the song and the song becomes the punchline almost. Yeah. yeah. Um, but nobody wants that awkward like two or three minute of... Well, this song is about my depression and my. I understand you're going through stuff, and this song was your uh, vehicle uh, <laughs> to mental health, and that's fantastic. I 100% yeah. support it. Nobody in this room disagrees with me on this. Sing the song. Yeah, exactly. You know, put it out there. And, you know, and I'm really bad about this too, but, you know, go out with an iPhone and or something i don't care what you have videotape your performance and if you can, watch absolutely. how many dead spots are in it yeah and you know figure out how can i eliminate that how can i get you know a better guitar stand for the spare instrument behind me yep. so that that transition is you know and there's all those kinds of little things that you learn just from recording yourself i right now have a digital mixer so i can record all my shows to sd card and at the end of the night you know i can dump that to a hard drive and then review later and be like oh man you know i'm I'm really singing that song flat i need to maybe change that key for the next show um don't get too far into your head about that because that'll just drive you insane and you know really feed that imposter syndrome that you know everybody always has that syndrome so don't do that too much but um you know check your own work and, and you know you, maybe you don't have to do that every show especially if you're performing a lot but yeah. maybe do a recalibration every 90 days yeah no for um, sure and make it as low key as possible is what I would say on yeah. that too right like because if you know the red light syndrome I'm not sure oh, if yeah. you've heard it right? oh yeah uh, we see the record lights on that. so now we're not going to perform as well because we're all up in our head um, yeah. so like just you're better off if it is literally a handheld recorder that you're like plugging into a headphone out thing on on a mixer and you just hit it hit record and you walk up yeah. and you just play your set and i mean you know it don't have it be right in front of you and staring it can at, be a great you know. way to create content too to sure. uh to bring like two or three cameras and put them in different spots and stitch it all together in iMovie or something like that oh sure oh yeah if you, um, you, got the you know I, I i found that you know 
there are some venues where it's like, okay, I know I can generate a month's worth of content from one night performing here. Yeah. And, uh, you know, one venue in particular, you know, I, I became really good buddies with the sound guy. And uh, as long as I bring him a hard drive, he, he runs the board in conjunction with his MacBook Pro. So he'll just record a multi-track uh, through PreSonus Capture. And yeah. There we go. So I'm, I'm good. Um, I, I will just a- say that, like, before we move on from the topic of uh, common mistakes made at open mics or new performers, uh, and it's on, it's kind of related to your thing about uh, explaining every song before you play it is don't apologize for your song before you play it. It is so surprising to me how it yeah. is. It is a natural human tendency to be like, you know, I'm sorry if I, if I mess up on the song or I'm sorry if, uh, if the song isn't quite ready yet or no, they don't know that it's not ready. So first of all, stop telling them. <laughs> and then second of all, that didn't improve the reception of your song when you said that. Yeah. I'd rather see somebody just flat out going for it with everything they've got um, there was an artist that I used to sometimes get the bill with. Sometimes I, I won't mention his name, although <laughs> any fans of mine from a certain part of the country mm. would know exactly who I'm talking about. But this guy would always come up and his voice would be a little off. He's like, oh, I was in the studio all day recording my new record. And that was a bad choice right before your show, man. <laughs> That's what yeah, I would think. It's like, okay, well, you know, drink some water and, and uh, you know, get through it. Yeah. You know, you're only playing like three songs in the showcase, so I don't know why you're really telling us except that you wanted really ultimately you didn't want to apologize for your voice. You wanted to tell us that you're doing studio work and we're not. Yeah, there there you go. It's either an excuse or a brag. But yeah. Either way it's not good. Yeah, you know. And by studio, do we mean like your mom's basement? (laughs) That's another good point. Yeah, for sure. You know, I mean I, I don't really brag about being in the studio. I live in this stinking studio. This is this is just my room. You know? mm-hmm. This is where I live. So it, it's not a big deal. It's a big deal if I go to like a commercial facility for a session and, and do work on another artist's song or something. I, then I might actually bring that up on Instagram in my stories or something. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for me, like the studio has become so normalized for me. It's just it's it's where I do all of my creative work and it's it's more than just you know this is where my mics live this is where my instruments live this is you know this is home so mm-hmm. and I, I think that that helped eliminate some of the red light fever too oh for sure just kind of normalizing you know just in the last year i've gotten a lot more comfortable on camera because i mean that's just what you You've end been up on doing camera yeah for sure Sure. Yeah, I used to get red light fever so bad trying to do vlogs and stuff like that. Yep. Yeah. You know, I I would uh, I would definitely say that I've noticed a real difference. There are kind of I would put musicians that record at home into kind of two camps. Uh, generally, there's a lot of camps we all fall into, but generally there are for those that write a song before they start recording it, and there are those that are using the recording tool as a way to write songs. If if you yeah. know what I mean, right? Mm-hmm. And the people that do the latter almost never get red light fever because the red yeah. light's always on, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the, the the best thing that you can really do is just to repetitiously go into the studio, whatever that studio looks like. It could be a spare bedroom. It can be a corner of your bedroom. It can be uh, a laptop strewn across the coffee table with an audio interface and a microphone. Yeah. 
but just continuously do that. Even if those are just demos, which we could make the argument that there's no such thing as a demo yeah. anymore. Yeah, honestly. There are just better sounding ones than others. Um, yeah. But let's face it, I mean, if Sony came up and offered any of the artists that I'm friends with that perform with a lucrative deal right now to basically scrap every record they've ever put out and, and, and go into a commercial facility and cut them all over again, they'd do it. Of course. So, you know, you could make the argument that every recording we independently create is, is a, a demo, or you could make the comment that they're all just final masters of one form or another. Or, yeah, so. there's even the deeper discussion of, like, you know, people used to write albums and and produce albums, but now it's, it feels oh. like now it's more yeah. like songs, right? Yeah, that's something, you know, there's there really has been a shift into more like okay this guy's just a, a playlist artist and there's a few uh that make a pretty lucrative living doing that Absolutely. i listen to their their album and it's like 14 sounds the same songs and it's like okay well their real goal was to get on 14 different playlists mm -hmm. that's yeah. really what it was yeah. so you know i i think that that's a big shift in in the culture um, you know, when I used to work music retail, I'd, I'd get, you know, that 19 year old kid. I, I saw him, I saw so much of myself in him you know, <laughs> come up holding like a six, $700 guitar, a thousand dollar guitar. Um, you know, either wanting a cable to go plug it into an amp or wanting to basically have me go get the case and buy it. You know? and, yeah. And, um, they'd all ask the same question. How do I get in a band? It's like, well, what do you do? Yeah. And they, look at me you know with this kind of deer in the headlights look well i play guitar or i play bass or you know i play drums or whatever it's like okay but what do you do why why should i hire you there are a thousand people that play there's guitar. a guitar yeah there are a thousand guitar players i have 20 on speed dial right now i could have on stage with me tonight at my gig when i get off the shift why should i hire you and that's the thing that i've hit home with a lot of my friends and even just you know the, the next generation coming up is it's not enough anymore. Like, yeah, in 2003 or four, whenever that was, I had that conversation with uh, this guitar player from Nashville. Yeah. Uh, you know, he was like, yeah, learn to play really well and, and sing harmony. Now it's like, okay, I can do the graphics design. I can manage the Instagram account. Right. I can create the posters. I can, um, which, you know, edit video more directly translates to I can prevent us from having to hire someone to manage our Instagram. I can save the organization yeah, exactly. a lot of money. Um, I mean, I know a gentleman, he's an okay bassist, plays upright bass. He's all right. He's also a master mechanic. Oh. He's been in the same band for 19 years. He's the only guy still standing in this particular band. They've they've gone through different front men. They've gone through different every other musician. He's still the same guy standing because he can keep the van on the road yeah <laughs> i was just about to say it's like he he knows how to keep the tour van running huh <laughs> gotcha yep. yeah yep Makes so sense. i mean you know bring bring all your other skills to it and throw everything you've got at it um you certainly i think every band member should know their way around a daw anymore and i think they should you know learn how to do basic video editing Mm -hmm. uh, I think everybody should probably go with uh, Skillshare, or Udemy, or even just YouTube and learn some basic videography skills, because at some point you're going to get your number rung up, and that's your turn to run the video for the night. Or sure, we've got to make a music video, and it's going to go a whole lot easier if we don't have to hire everybody's shots to be done by somebody else. So yeah, absolutely. 
Um, you also got to pick your poison, though, right? Like, we can't be experts in everything, so like, you gotta. Yeah, you don't have to be expert like in maybe everything. Maybe one but... band member goes fine. I'll be the I'll be the video guy. Maybe another band yeah, member goes. Yeah, I mean, like I'll be the as a solo guy. artist, that's definitely something you end up so having hard. to figure out everything. But if yeah, if you're in a band, you can get you know the drummer is really good at setting up the PA system, and the bass player is really good at fixing the van, and the right. lead singer is really good at doing the booking, and the guitar player does the graphics design, and I don't know the keyboard player does something you know however you want to split the duties and you know i'm trying to not speak in absolutes here but you know nobody is expected to be the babysitter of the band right um you know i just actually this week just signed with uh, a booking agent finally i have somebody that's going to be doing some booking so i'll Congrats. be playing a, a certain amount of shows i have a non-exclusive agreement so i don't have to book you know, between four and six shows a month now, you know, and that basically that gives me a flatline baseline music income. Yeah. Uh, you know, the state of Indiana, uh, we're going off of the uh, COVID restrictions are officially ending on uh, April 6th. Okay. Uh, so we're going to be opening up a lot more and, and we'll see how this goes. But so far they've done a really good job of getting vaccinations out. People are feeling pretty good. So that's good. Um, you know, I'm, I'm hopefully going to be back to work and, um, yeah, I've, I've got somebody who's like, okay, I'm going to pay you directly and you're not going to have to wait around till the bar closes. And you know, it's, it's pretty nice, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm getting a little bit of a, a marketing behind things. It's, it's, it's nice. I mean, it's been 15 years in the making to have somebody really do this for me. So, yeah, I mean, Check back in a year and we'll see how this goes. Uh, <laughs> I would love to. Yeah, it is it is a lot of work trying to get a foothold established as a solo person. Like, um, yeah. Even even just for this this show, right? Like, I'm a web developer by day, uh, but, like, I use Squarespace to make this website for, for my show and for my main yeah. contact because do I want to do that for all the time that, like, I'm... Like, if I spend all day doing that for my day job, I want to be done with my day job when I'm done with yeah, my day job. Yeah, that, right? that's that's kind of the line that I drew into sand too. You know, I remember like I don't know, maybe ten years ago, I went to the bookstore and bought the three-inch thick book on HTML5, and you know, I, I read like probably five chapters of this thing. So, you know what? I can't afford to hire anybody, but there's got to be something better than this. And, yeah, you know, along came. Uh, you know, like Banzoogle and some stuff like that. Yep. And, you know, so yeah, I use Banzoogle for that. Um, yeah, I can't recommend that enough uh, because that's just that's one less headache that I have to put up with. Mm-hmm. Squarespace is fantastic, um, but even I mean, I've got plenty of musician friends that uh, they're fairly competent, but they they are scared to death to put their own website together. So they are literally building their business on rented ground with Facebook and Twitter That's and Instagram. A terrible That's decision. so scary. Do not I mean, build your business on Facebook. That You are asking to be held hostage. Like you're, you're basically yes. like giving them the keys to hold you hostage. <laughs> well, I had something like 10,000 uh, friends or likes or whatever it was on MySpace back in the day. And I may have carried over 150 of them to yeah. whatever platform I'm on today. It's so, rough. Um, you know, thank goodness I had built an email list 
There you go. You know, yep. going back to, you know, about 2008 or so, I have a, a actual email list that I've cultivated. And I, I still have, you know, some of those original contacts. I can't believe people still have that email address all these years later. But that's cool. That's cool. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's definitely, I mean, there's so much more to being an artist than just being, you know, a performer or being, you know, a session guy or whatever. There, yeah. There's so much else out there that you have to take into consideration if you're serious especially if you're not already working for money in that field right like if you're trying to get your foot in the door guess what you gotta you gotta know how to do marketing you gotta know how to get yourself out there on social media you gotta know how yeah. to literally network with actual people in real life which is something that a lot of people don't know how to do very well you know like it's it's tough you know um you know that's that's definitely something where you you have to put on a game face. I think um, the best thing you can really do is go get a job for at least a short time in customer service. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that'll teach your patience real fast. That'll teach your patience real quick. That'll teach you how to deal with people. That'll teach you, and you know, I worked enough restaurant industry stuff that I can go into a, a venue that serves food and and talk to them on their terms and in ways that they can understand. Right. I'll stay um, out of the way of your customers. I'll make sure the tables are getting cleared fast. I'm not uh, interfering with your bus staff, all, all that stuff that they yeah. they care about moving people through those. You are there to facilitate more butts and chairs faster and more well, meals or and drinks. Well, or keep them there buying yeah, alcohol or, drinks, you know, depending yeah. on the venue situation. Um, but being able to go in there and talk to them in terms that they understand, because really all they want me to do is keep customers coming in or keep them there once they have them. So, right. you know, I can't be too loud. I can't be too obnoxious. I can't be too abrasive, you know. And, I mean, that's a different type of gig than playing, um, you know, I don't know, a, a vintage car show or something like that. You know, For sure. And For it's sure. a different gig from playing a farmer's market. Um, you know, and learn to read the room when you're doing that, too. Oh, yeah. Um, so, like, if you're in a bar, like... Probably good idea to ask the the bartender. Hey, are there drink specials that you want me to mention tonight? Like that. That's probably yeah. not a bad idea. If you're in a even restaurant, even if you don't do that, learn the bartender's name and shout them out yeah. from the stage. Hey, everyone, make sure to th- thank Nicole back there. She's been uh, keeping us all happy. She's been doing a great job. Things like that. Yeah, you know, go go and tip Nicole really heavy. You know? That's what gets you invited back too, right? Because like yeah. then Nicole, the bartender, talks to the owners like, "Hey, Caleb was really great. I really like that guy." Yeah, I I have one venue that I'm hoping will return to live music. And um, I became friends with a couple of the bartenders to the point where they actually volunteer to take shifts the night I'm playing because, (laughs) you know, it's their buddy up on the stage. You know, Um, I, you know, I'm humbled that that was the case, you know, for one, they apparently seem to like my music, but also I just was able to to garner those relationships. Uh, And that also means that I have the ear of the talent buyer. Yeah. You yep. know, and I was able to renegotiate contracts after the first year and, and re-up and things like that. So, you know, this this is too short of a podcast to go into the minutia of all of that. But well, we can have more episodes, too. I was definitely going to mention that later is that if, uh, sure. if you're open, we can definitely have more chats because... It's always uh, it's always a challenge finding more people for an interview show. I'll tell you that. Sure. Uh, well, there's, there's, like, there's a lot to talk about. More yeah. to talk about, as you just said. Yeah. Um, I... I do notice that we've been recording for coming up on an hour and I want to respect your time, but I also must get my lightning round through, uh, which I figure that this will be fun because you actually, you mentioned earlier, you used to work at a music store. Um, So let's do that. Here it goes. 
And it only is going to play once this time? Oh, wow, it even worked. Awesome. Uh, so the whole preamble to the lightning round is that the folks at the music store are all positive that that gold-plated, unbalanced, quarter-inch patch cable that you use to plug your guitar is worth that 600% markup for that monster cable. But I'm not convinced. And, I mean, I used to work at a different store called Radio Shack that had just we had chrome plate cables that were just as good that we just kept in the back room all the time because oh, we didn't make share. as much money so i guess that's kind of the spirit of the lightning round is is it's going to start with a series of questions of is it worth the money to buy x and then and then we'll switch over to things like uh gear talk like what software you may or may not use sound good sure i Sounds will good. give you the question the possible answers i'm going to ask you to answer one or the other but not hedge anything. And then afterwards, you can go back and like explain something if you feel the need to. Defend my stance on it. Gotcha. This. Cool. All right. So here we go. Is it worth the money to buy a fancy unbalanced quarter inch patch cable? That's gold plated connectors, you know, super ultra triple shielding. That's what I mean by ultra fancy. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, is it worth the money to buy a fancy balanced quarter inch patch cable? Yes. XLR? Yes. Okay. Is it worth the money to buy an external preamp? Uh, your choices are worth it regardless, worth it based on your mic and or audio interface, or waste of money regardless. In the studio, no. Waste of money regardless? Yeah. I'll defend that later. Okay, I got you. <laughs> uh, is it worth the money to buy a third-party plug-in or hardware processors like... Uh, a collection of VSTs, or do you just go with stock stuff? I think it's kind of a waste of money for the most part. Okay. I, 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 we could circle back to my stance on sure, that. Sure, sure, sure. And I can defend my, my platform. But uh, You mentioned earlier that you use uh, stream. Uh, do you have any dedicated streaming hardware? Like uh, I think there's like Sling Studio and like camera switchers and stuff like uh, that. No studio hardware uh, for that, like uh, I've seen some of it, yeah. um, but I've also seen how backward it is right now. So I just I haven't even tried. Uh, so I just do everything with macros on a keyboard. Okay, yeah. Uh, I just I custom create them. I'm using uh, Streamlabs OBS, so I just uh, so I think create I my it, modifier keys. I'll put you in the worth it only if your computer uh, computer can't handle streams because it sounds like you found a workaround that lets you accomplish what that that hardware would yeah. have otherwise allowed you to. Okay, gotcha. Is it worth the money to buy a green screen for live screens? Live streams? Only if you're going to light it well. That's the truth, ain't it? Um, I'll say worth it if you light it well. Absolutely. Your preferred DAW, your choice is, name your preferred. There's too many choices, but odds are if you name one, I'll pick it. Uh, this year it's Logic. Logic, excellent. Uh, what is your preferred streaming solution for like normal shows? Do you use like OBS to stream out to multi-platforms or? Uh, I'm using Streamlab. Uh, just going straight to YouTube. Streamlab, cool. Um, and preferred conferencing solution like a Zoom or a WebEx or a Skype? Do you, do you care? Uh, uh, but I've had really good luck with Zoom lately. Me too. Me too. Do you restream? I think you said earlier that you don't, so I'll say no. You just go direct to YouTube, you said? Yeah. You don't simulcast to both Facebook and no, YouTube? No, I, I found that's just a little too distracting, and it just divides my audience too far up. Okay, so. yeah. 
All right, so the ser next series of questions are like a, a rating scale. They go from strongly disagree to strongly agree with a, a disagree and agree and then neutral, okay? Okay. Uh, my DAW stock, pro uh, stock plugins are a cost-effective way to get audio broadcast ready and repair problems. Oh, I strongly agree. Yeah, okay. Uh, Isotope RX is a suite of cost-effective tools to get audio broadcast ready and repair problems. It's... Yeah, it is. I feel like you're less strongly agreeing with that one. Is that fair? Yeah, I'd say I'm kind of in the middle there. Sure, sure. I, I feel like a lot of people could just uh, spend a little bit better time tracking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> instead of trying to uh, fix it in the mix. I, I hear you. Fix it in pre. Get it right at the start. I, uh, I've heard that one before. Yeah. Uh, do you use Ozone at all, uh, which is also an isotope product? It's I have Ozone. Um, I wouldn't say I'm using it right now. Okay, so maybe so, neutral even on that one. I'm kind of neutral. Um, sure. The current version, I have a little bit of a uh, a, a beef with how it's uh, <laughs> doing some things. So. Interesting. Okay. Now, I, I think I know what you're talking about, actually. Um, FabFilter plugins, you ever use those? I have not used them. Neutral, okay. I, I know some really, like, very trustworthy people who like basically don't want to mix without them, but I have no opinion one way or the other. Cool. And finally, Waves plugins. Are they a cost-effective way to get your audio broadcast ready? They are very cost-effective. Cost-effective. Very. Yeah, I would okay, strongly, strongly agree, agree on that. Okay, cool. Are there any specific uh, go-to plugins that you haven't talked about yet that you do like just keep in your toolkit, for lack of a better term? Um, so I, I have the Slate bundle. Yeah, Slate, uh, Slate Studio. So I, I use the virtual mix rack uh, a lot. Um, it's just very organized. It does the thing it does really well. Sure. Um, you know, really I could do everything that I have to do within Logic uh, from, from start to finish. I could do everything uh, within Logic. I could do the same thing in just about every DAW that I use. Right. Uh, which Logic... Um, it has a lot of really cool tools in it, and most importantly for me, it syncs up with Final Cut really well, so I can do the sound for my videos yep. seamlessly. Um, but as far as like Caleb Hawkins, the artist, what I do, I could do what I do in Audacity. I could do yep. what I do in just about any multi-track recording software out there. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I I totally agree that the free stuff out there is powerful enough that you can get away with. Oh it. Yeah. yeah, anybody who says otherwise is making excuses for not actually getting any work done, or needs to learn mic placement. <laughs> one one of the two. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, would you be willing to give us a ballpark in terms of like monthly cost handle websites and nonsense that you do? Um, so uh, Slate, I think I'm uh, what twenty bucks a month or something like that for Slate. Mm -hmm. Um, my web hosting, um, it, uh, I'd have to check my invoices. I think it's less than $10 a month is what I'm spending. It's a good deal. Um, and when I'm actually tonight is going to be the season finale for, um, uh, for my live streaming show that I was doing on YouTube. And so I was spending about 10 bucks a week, uh, promoting on Facebook as much okay. as it pained me. That was just how I got an audience Yeah, uh, to remember that I was streaming. Yeah. Um, so, you know, 40, 50 bucks a month for that, uh, just to get an audience, which that's recoupable because, you know, I have people who PayPal tips and stuff like that at the end of the night. So, yeah. Okay. So like what, like 
60 bucks, it sounds like ish. Um, so let's see $30 for software uh, or well, software and website, and then call it 50 bucks a month in marketing. Okay, 80 bucks. Cool, cool. That uh, it's just really man, it is so interesting to me how like I've, I've talked to some guys that seem to have like a huge following and pay an astronomical amount and other people seem to pay almost nothing and um and still have a huge following while other people pay almost nothing and have no following it's like it's very hit and miss it's um i i think that the people who uh spend you know next to nothing or nothing uh that, that still have a, a massive following for what they're doing have somehow found just ways to be good content creators and, and genuinely tell a story or somehow Agreed. engage uh, in some effective way, in their own unique way, and maybe it's you know that they write uh, little mini books as Facebook posts yeah. every every day, or yeah. some they're just really really good at graphics design, or uh, you know using the stories feature uh, and getting engagement like that. Yeah, sorry, my puppies are that's, going that's crazy in the other room. It's all good. Uh, cool. That is the end of the lightning round. So if you feel, if you want to go back and hedge, uh, I think there were a few that you mentioned. You said something about, uh, you had a problem with ozone. Definitely. I remember that one. And then I yeah, think, yeah, and it, I can defend my stance on cables too. Sure. Okay. Cause I was gonna, I was gonna kind of hit you on the cable. Hold my feet to the fire on that one. <laughs> okay. So here's my, here's my stance on cables. Um, if you go to any of the big box music retailers, their house brand cables do have a very massive, about a 70 plus percent markup rate. Yeah. You know, and they, they give you the uh, sense that, you know, well, we, we own this brand and we back it up unconditionally. And, and you know, that, that's the, the value in the brand. Right. Um, many of those cables are so cheaply built that my problem with them isn't the warranty it isn't the markup that's fine i'm i'm a capitalist so i'm right. okay with with a brand making money mm -hmm. my problem is when i go live if my guitar cable goes out my show goes off the rails while i have to go do the walk of shame across the stage right pull another one out of my suitcase and plug back in probably resound check because now the sound guy has seriously jacked just, up the yeah, game you just dropped your fader because you had to unplug right instead well, of and muting your track was or... playing with the eq and the right. gain and all of a sudden i am way out of the mix yeah, yeah. so you know i do have uh you know one of those 70 dollar guitar cables that in 10 years it has not broken on me me too i have and a monster just... guitar cable that was made for bass but it that's, works. That's my point. Is like I think it's only worth it for the guitar cable. The balanced think, cable basically makes it so that you shouldn't need the shielding. Shouldn't I, I think that, that. Um, you know you should definitely be able to go out there and plug it in night after night and coil it after the show and uncoil it. And that's the other thing: treat your cables well. Oh yeah. Spend three dollars at thing, Home Depot and buy some Velcro. People doing people. this thing, you will ruin oh, your yeah, cable around the elbow and under around, the thumb every time. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, learn to coil wrap. There's there's plenty of tutorials how to do that. But take care of your cables. Spend once, cry once. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my 100% uptime uh, on stage is dependent on the fact that I treat my cables with respect and that I purchased well from the beginning. 
Um, I always do have like a couple of crappy cables around just in case like I'm looking around going, oh, this is kind of a dodgy venue. Maybe I shouldn't use the good stuff tonight. Oh, yeah. Always regretted it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Always regretted it. Um, I think in the studio, like if if it's more of a stationary, like this is always plugged into the back of the patch bay and it never gets coiled and uncoiled. It never gets unplugged and replugged. Right. It never you gets get a little moved bit around. More you know, that's that's probably a little bit more forgiving because really it just has to pass current well. It has to just have a good capacitance. Yep. Um, so I'm a little bit more lax about that, but as a performer, I don't have time to fix stuff. Right, right. I, I have an audience that is going to get up and go to the bathroom and then pay their tab and leave if my show drags like that. That's true. Absolutely. They came true. to see a performance, not a sound check. Yep, yep, yep. So... That's kind of where I am with the cables. Um, generally, and I, I can't say this specifically applies to everything because I've had some monster cables that I don't think were worth the money at all. Yeah. They didn't hold up any better than the house brand stuff. Yeah. But generally, if you do buy a good quality, well-soldered, well-terminated cable, uh, they will hold up and be a good return on the investment. It's true. Yeah, um, it, you got to do the math. How many how many cheapo cables did you have to buy in the time that it took that good cable? Oh, to yeah, go back? yeah. If, if, if you run through, um, you know, six or seven of those $20 cables versus one $60 cable, yeah, you know. It's pretty obvious. Plus, plus all the people who look at your show and go, oh, he's an amateur. He can't even keep his guitar cable going, you know. Right, right. Um, you know, I mean, it, it's it's cumulative. There's there's so many things that, that go into play with that. So definitely, you know, your signal chain that you're going to abuse. I mean, let's face it, we abuse cables. They get stepped on, they get coiled up, they <laughs> get left out in the cold, so the rubber ends up interacting, and they get left in the sun. You know, spend the money, cry once, move on. Yep. Uh, I generally agree with that. It's just the XLR cables in particular that, uh, that like, I don't know that they're worth more than the basics, honestly. Like, you get away with so, so much. They, they yeah. lock in, so, like, they're not falling I out. I do like the well-shielded ones because, like, I play in a lot of historic venues. Sometimes they have some really old power. Oh, yeah. yeah that's, that's so make sure you've got something that's, you know, able to kind of withstand some, some ground problems and mm-hmm. things like that. Yep. Um, but the only thing I can really say is make sure that you've got name brand terminations on each end. Make no. sure it's either Neutrik or Switchcraft because huh. they're the only ones that are actually going to fit your microphone reliably 100% of the time. Interesting. I, I'm not sure if I'd ever heard that particular detail before. Yeah. Okay. I, I actually, I had that um, at a venue last week. I, I use a Bags <laughs> Para DI and... Uh, off-brand cable nobody had ever heard of it you know whatever you know amazon basics kind of thing yep. and it didn't fit my di and that's a bags di that's not a knockoff that's a 200 dollars yeah. piece of equipment and the, the you know <laughs> it's like the most the cable, standard connection in all the of cable audio. kept shorting out though oh my goodness because it wasn't making a solid connection and locking in there right uh, i swapped that out with um with a megami and it had you know i think that's switchcraft on that particular cable fine done i was done sound checking at that point yeah so definitely well i can defend that stance but uh, i uh, mean we're, we're, yes. we're talking about stock plugins i think yeah definitely uh do you have anything you want to expand on on that um i mean there are some daws i think where they kind of build that into the price uh presona studio one has great stock plugins 
Um, you know, I, I think that where a lot of DAWs have kind of fallen off is like the reverbs can kind of sound a little generic. Uh, the compressors can sound a little boring. Maybe they don't have all that, that vintage um, model character mojo, stuff like that. Yeah. You know, if you want character plugins, um, stock plugins probably aren't the way to go. But most of the time I'm finding, um, you know, the stuff that comes stock is very capable of getting a mix done. Uh, traction or well now it's waveform uh, only had like I don't know half a dozen stock plugins and they were kind of that might be a case where you need to go find a lot of free plugins and things like that to yep. augment yep. but that's that's still very capable out there as well I did that for 15 years before I actually bought a plugin so I think that blew me away with Studio One is when they added that splitter tool back in version four, uh, with the yeah. ability to channel split and do the mid. With, between that and the mix tool, now I could for free do the mid side splittering uh, thing that like I basically bought the Fab Filter Suite for uh, way back yeah. in the day. You know, so yeah, I do a lot of mid side. Um, you know, putting like vocals up the center and, and then guitars on the sides mm -hmm. using a, like a figure of eight ribbon mic on the guitar, and that mm -hmm. really works well. Yeah, um, gives a nice image uh, to like a singer songwriter. You know, if I'm doing like the the lone guy on a bar stool kind of uh, sound, um, that works incredibly well. Um, but I've always just I've never used um, anything more than some buses and some face flipping to do that. That's hmm. always been something I've been able to do with with just stock stuff. Um, you know, just make one track, send a send to that, and then duplicate it and flip the phase. Yeah, I've, I've never been happy with that, with the results I get from that. I don't know. I guess it just sounds weird to me. Like, there's this actual, there's a Christmas song, I think it's from Mariah Carey, uh, that, is, that is the audio, the vocals are double-tracked, or maybe even quadruple-tracked, and it is it is distracting to me that, yeah. like, I can hear that she's literally singing the same line for it. And it's not, it's not her singing it four different times. It is a fake double track and i can hear yeah it. see I, i'm not i'm not advocating fake double track but i do um when i do like a mid-side thing i do have like a figure of eight microphone which yeah. has that yeah, gives you that you advantage know, exactly yeah and so i will create a second track uh create a, a basically a bus to send that track and flip that second track yeah. out of phase and that gives me that nice wide stereo image that's actually um, how how stereo recording first started. I, I believe. Yeah. Is, yeah, that was the basic. Pretty setup. much. Yeah, uh, but the mid side works really well. Uh, but again, I can do that stock. Um, you know, it, getting into the character plugins. I think you had a question about waves. Yeah, waves. Um, I'm kind of on the fence about. I feel waves like it, makes a lot of great character plugins. Hmm. Um, you know, and if you get on their mailing list, they're constantly putting stuff on sale, uh, you know, like twenty nine ninety five buy two, get the third free. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, like on black Friday stuff like that. Oh, um, for sure. you know, I mean, if you need something right, right now, um, you know, you may find, Oh, it's, you know, 60 bucks. And then, you know, in a week later, it's $29. So, uh, definitely be prepared for that, but that can happen in any facet of retail and in any industry. You oh, for sure you know, that you can fathom. So, um, but they do have some cool, uh, like I use some of the Abbey road stuff. I, I have like Abbey road chambers, which is a really very high character, uh, ambience effect. Yeah. Um, you know, some of the, like the compressors and things like that, that are modeled after Chris Lord algae or whatever. Yeah. I have the slate bundles. So, I mean, I think that's a cost effective thing. I have access to about $2,000 worth of stuff. 
if I were to pay full retail for 20 bucks good a things month. about the slate bundle. I, I, I it's never good. recommended I to I don't it. like the iLock, but, you know, that's kind of how they manage to keep everything in the stable. So, okay, that's fine. I'll deal with it. I did. I resisted the iLock for so long, but honestly, I did too. the second I started taking my Surface or my Microsoft Surface around to as my mobile recording rig, and like yeah. I, I could like now play Can't along the, the backing port. tracks and like have all my effects that I normally have, and that was pretty nice. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. it's it's definitely it, it's a thorn in the side, um, but. I think software piracy is becoming less and less of a thing, just like music piracy has become less and less of a thing. So, yeah, um, you know, it is what it is. Um, but, uh, you know, getting those character plugins, you know, those nice little saturators, those little things that are supposed to add some Sonic Mojo. I, I don't always agree with that. I think that, you know, Mojo usually comes from something created inside the, the room. Yeah. Um, you know, I would rather... Uh, you know, swap out the acoustic guitar, swap out the microphone, uh, things like that, than to rely on a plugin for a hundred percent of the vibe of the track. I agree. Um, which I think we also you had a question about uh, external preamps. Um, yeah, I did. Yeah, that was the last yeah. thing you wanted to uh, explain. Yeah. So, if you're talking like the twenty nine ninety five Art Tube MP, um. You know, and I know a bunch of guys, they swear up and down that they changed that out for a new old stock, uh, you know, 12AX7 tube, and it made it so much vibier and groovier mm. and cooler. And I don't hear it. Yeah. I honestly don't hear it. I would rather hear, um, I would rather hear less ground noise and less other problems that those preamps usually have. Huh. Um, I, you know, I kind of look at, audio interface preamps is almost like photography now where I just really want to get a good, clean, a hundred percent flat, transparent image of what's going on yep. at the source. I don't want to hear ground hum. I don't want to hear uh, crosstalk. I don't want to hear hissing and whistling and, and digital artifacts. I agree. Uh, because I can add all that stuff in with software. Yeah. Uh, I can use like isotope trash and get some transformer, you know, yeah. grunge and I can, I can grunge things up just like Instagram is to photography. I can make everything look better and sound better if I've got a good, accurate representation. And if I'm trying to right. archive like a legacy performer, um, a few years ago, uh, a local performer who was kind of, you know, he was in his riding off in the sunset phase. We were able to capture really high fidelity recording of the man himself that has no coloration. There is no artifacts. There is no glitches in it. Right. And, you know, that alone right now i mean i would love for my you know great great grandchildren to be able to come back and have a, a high-res copy of my music that is my favorite thing about the hobby that we are both engaged in is that if yeah my, my kids will be able to listen to my stuff and they will know who i was as a 20 year old way better than i ever ever know what my yeah. dad was like as a 20 year old for sure and um so i i think that on the budget side uh, if you're spending less than 200 bucks, you're probably wasting your money. Mm -hmm. um, most of them don't actually have high voltage power supplies. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the Art Tube MP, basically, I can run that on nine volts. Mm. Yeah. Uh, that's not enough voltage to actually power a tube. Right. Uh, I mean, my guitar amps, you know, my, my actual. Class A tube amps mm -hmm. take a lot of juice. I can tell you what my electric bill runs up to when I'm playing this thing all the time. Right. Um, 
So, I mean, unless you've got like high powered uh, preamps that actually pull in some juice and, you know, have a big transformer on the back end of them, they're not really doing anything that you couldn't do in software. Hmm. Not close, you know, not enough to justify some of the headaches and the fact that you all of a sudden you've added more cables and other more connections things in your yeah. path. Every yeah, connection more connections, is more, more things to go wrong when the red light's on and you've got a client that's paying you yep. to to do that thing. So, you know, that said, I mean, Grace makes some great preamps. Uh, Avalon makes some fantastic preamps. Uh, the Golden Audio, Golden Age Audio Pre Seventy Three, which is a Neve clone, yep. uh, I think it's about three four hundred bucks. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, some of the best tones I've ever gotten were with uh, Seventh Circle Audio uh, preamp kits. We're using uh, the API and the Neve clones that they make, um, and you know those are. On the cheap, I think they're a couple of hundred bucks, and you basically solder them together. Yeah. Uh, if you want to pay them to assemble it for you, you're looking about six hundred bucks a channel. Oof. Um, yeah. So if you know your bad. way around a soldering iron, which is a great skill to have, and that can circle back to the cables, you can save a lot of money if you know how to use a soldering iron. Learn how to use a soldering iron. If you're a musician, yeah. just well, we can go ahead and just say that it's worth your time. Yeah. To it learn definitely how to use. is, especially and it, super cheap. It's like thirty yeah. bucks. Yeah. Uh, well, until those burn out, spend more like 50. Um, but yeah, I it's, 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 need to repair. yeah, definitely. But yeah, that's, that's one of those things, you know, having the toolbox for sure. Um, yeah. you know, if you're, if you're not going to have redundant spares on your tour and, you know, have the budget to, you know, run the guitar center or something and buy, you know, replacements as things break, right. Bring the soldering iron and some, some solder and some flux. Extra jacks. Extra yeah. jacks are always... Pair of wire clippers. There you go. Yeah. And strippers. Um, but, yeah, I think there's a lot of snake oil in this business. Um, and I think on the digital side, it's getting worse and worse and worse. It's like, hey, we can correct for your, your crappy sounding room. Mm. We can, you know, take all the room tone out of your room and, and put you in an acoustically perfect space. Well, some of my favorite recordings were recorded in some really sounding spaces but they were beautiful recordings right use it um and at the same point instead of spending three four hundred dollars on software go to whatever your home improvement store is and buy some acoustic panel materials and spend an afternoon putting those together the ones that are behind me i built myself uh i treated my room for about a hundred bucks yeah you know and it took I'm me with, an afternoon i'm with the uh the not the cheap man's way, but the lazy man's way. I bought a drum shield, right? And I, I used that as like a recording booth. And it came with these giant acoustic tiles I basically used as a, a recording booth, basically. Yeah, yeah. Works really uh, well. That's a great way to go. Uh, moving blankets, Harbor Freight sells them for like five ninety nine on sale all the time. You can yeah. hang some of those up on the wall. Put it's, some. You you mentioned the uh, the old closet trick, right? Put literally. Oh, yeah. Don't. The inclination is everyone makes this mistake. They take the clothes off the hangers that are in the closet. That's what you did wrong. Well, that interferes with the selfie. No, no, you, ne you need the clothes. It, that's why you record it in there because it kills all those reverbs and that's what makes that sound flat. Yeah, but even, you know, I mean, in 2013, I made a record in a, a old historic church. We were actually in like the choir uh, rehearsal space, which mm -hmm. was just still, it was like a 40 foot long by 20 foot wide maybe 12 feet high room yeah and, plenty of reverb. You know, yeah plenty of reverb we didn't use with the exception of some of the guitars that had spring reverbs on them uh mm -hmm. we didn't use any ambient effects on yeah. the vocal we just 
move me back, you know, another foot from the mic. If, if I want to be more up front in the mix, I move closer to the mic. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that added a lot of vibe. You know, I could still hear the reflections off the acoustic guitar from my pick attack. So mm. I was playing to the room. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's sometimes imperfect spaces because there was, man, there were some really bad dips in the bass in that room. I mean, there was some yeah, weird yeah. stuff built up. Um, but, you know, you, you kind of, you work to that advantage. So, um, you know, perfect recordings are boring. I think the Shins famously record paid to record a song in the bathroom of a studio, right? Yeah. In the bathroom, we were playing, we paid to record this. I think it was a lyric from one of their songs. So. Oh yeah, you know, it's it's a definitely a thing that used to your advantage. I mean, if you have serious problems like lots and lots of traffic and things like that, or you know, RX has saved me a few times. Um, you know, I. I figured out i had a grounding issue that i wasn't able to hear until i added compression to a track yep um you know so uh, like i have used those things there it's like man this is a great performance but there is a problem that's great but i don't think that uh, software necessarily is going to save you if the performance is vanilla and boring agreed yeah so let's um let's call let's start wrapping it up because I, I, right. I have to like edit this and stuff and like it's sure. gonna be work uh, a lot to unpack <laughs> yeah but i do like if you're open to it i'd love to have you back and sure. um yeah i'd love to chat more because i think there's more to talk about for sure um but yeah thank you so much for joining me are there any uh are there websites or social media accounts that you want to direct folks to yeah uh just go to calebhawkins.com uh, that's kind of the main hub for everything. And of course there's links to all my social media from there and you can find my schedule for where I'm performing. If you're in the Midwest, um, you know, I'm tonight by the time, I'm sure by the time this goes live, it'll be over my, uh, my season finale live stream. Yeah, so, but there's several episodes and, um, there's going to be some new, uh, YouTube stuff. I really need to up my YouTube game. So, uh, find me on YouTube. Subscribe would probably be the best way to kind of get me motivated to get out there and do some stuff. Cool, man. Um, yeah, I'll include links to that stuff in the, in the show notes for sure. Cool. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is fun. Yeah, to thanks be nerds. for joining us. Yeah, I I liked it. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna play the outro music and I'll, I'll say good goodbye uh, and have a great weekend. Alrighty. righty.